This week I talk to Stuart, Mike and Susie from Holloway Friendly Society. We talk about the new strategy they've developed for the company and how they're making claims a focus for their customer service. Welcome to episode 162 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business and for discussing topics on all things finance. I'm Roger Edwards, a marketing guy and keynote speaker from Edinburgh, helping you keep your marketing strategy simple and the BS at bay. Hey folks and welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thank you as always for downloading or streaming the show. I really do appreciate you taking the time to plug me and my guests into your earphones. Just thought I'd let you know, if you didn't already, that the podcast is now available on Spotify. Previously, you could download it straight from my webpage. You could listen to it on the iTunes podcast app or direct from iTunes and from Spotify. Stitcher Radio, but now you can download the podcast on Spotify. Now, personally, I find that so much more convenient because I use Spotify all the time to listen to all my old prog rock music and and heavy metal and all of that sort of stuff. So check out the Marketing and Finance podcast on Spotify. This week, we're taking a deep dive back into the protection insurance industry, and I'm talking to the team at Holloway Friendly Society. We chat about how Holloway Friendly has succeeded as a smaller business within the UK financial services market, protection insurance market challenges, putting together a new strategy for business development, showing insurance claims in a positive light, why sharing true stories helps customers, and how Holloway deal with the claims process. So let's get straight into that interview with the team from Holloway right here on the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Stuart, Mike, Susie, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Hi, Roger. How are you doing? Hi, Roger. Doing really good, guys. Thanks for coming on the show. Tell me, where are we Skyping each other from today? Of course, I'm in Edinburgh, as always. And we're in sunny Gloucester. In sunny Gloucester. So we're probably about 300 miles apart. And thanks for joining me. You're from um, Holloway Friendly. We're going to talk about the protection market today. We'll maybe get into a little bit about claims and a little bit about product development and underwriting, but maybe give me a little bit of background about yourselves. So one at a time, Stuart, Mike, Susie. Okay, I'm Stuart Trackheim. I'm CEO here, uh, Roger. I've uh, been in financial services for far too long now, 30 odd years. Ended up as CEO here about 18 months ago. Uh, prior to that, worked in a number of large insurers, uh, mainly in sales, marketing, distribution, and technical roles. And joined here, as I say, 18 months ago, to try and uh, reposition Holloway into uh, into a new brand for the future. So you're really taking on board the whole strategic planning and the vision, I guess. That's exactly it. Yeah, we're starting from a business that's been trading for an awful lot of years, 140 years, mm. but it's largely been a small insurer based regionally in Gloucester. And the board is reasonably ambitious now, and we want to try and make a bit of a mark in the market. So uh, that's why I joined, as I say, about 18 months back. So we'll get into a little bit more about what your plans might be later, Stuart. So Mike, what makes you tick? Hello, Roger. So. Uh, so I joined Holloway as Chief Operating Officer in June last year. I've worked in underwriting claims and ops, my sins, for about the last 25 years and for about the last 13 in sort of more of an exec capacity. I've also worked on ABI Protection Committee and Technical Committees as well and have been a member of the number of the, um, the underwriting groups such as Doug 
as also a committee member previously at Select 74. And I guess for me, what makes me tick, well, I, I really enjoy innovating and modernizing the customer journey, particularly from the quote apply and underwriting process all the way through to, to the point of claim. Fantastic. And Susie, how about yourself? Hi, Roger. I'm Susie Essen. So I'm head of member services here at Holloway Friendly, looking after claims, underwriting and um, member admin. During the last 27 years, I've worked in the claims and underwriting arena for insurers that outsource their claims and underwriting capabilities to Capita. I joined Holloway Friendly in May last year. My passion is claims and what makes me tick is really the ability to make a real difference to someone at the time when they need it the most and supporting claimants, not only financially in paying claims, but also helping them to regain a quality of life by rehabilitation and other opportunities. And I, I was thinking, but I hit record before, Holloway is, I guess, one of the smaller providers out there. And I guess that means you haven't got the um, the budgets of some of the larger protection providers. But obviously, the company has taken the decision to invest in yourselves as a, as a really core high-hitting team. So how do you plan to keep yourself at the forefront of the market and compete against, I guess, the Avivas and the legal and generals of the world? Happy to say that, uh, Roger. I think the, the initial thing to bear in mind, of course, is that we don't want to compete head-on with the big players yeah. because we can't, uh, for the reasons that you've already said, they've got such large uh, budgets, such large distribution footprints. So for an organisation that's small and specialist like Holloway, we have to work out how to compete in areas where they can't copy what we do. Mm. That for us is around point of claim and actually dealing with customers in a, in a more holistic way, not just the customers, but also their families. In terms of keeping you know keeping up to speed with what's going on in the market, there, there, are, there are loads of ways that we all do that collectively. Obviously, uh, market participation is the easiest way to keep up to date. So regular meetings with brokers. Uh, we participate in the trade associations work um, via the AFM and ILAG. We also are members of the Income Protection Task Force and are now also sponsoring the Resilient Household Steering Group. So we're we're, we're right at the front of, of making sure we really are uh, understanding what's happening in the market. And uh, as I say, competition for us is is, is, is is a pointless situation if we're just going to try and take on the big firms on price. We have to do things in a different way. And that's why we've got something which is a bit special, I think, evolving at the moment. And are you finding it um, really useful being members of the, all of those organisations you talked about? So you mentioned the Income Protection Task Force. Um, Mike, you mentioned the ABI committees that you're on. Are you actually taking a really quite driving role in those committees because I guess quite a lot of companies go on these committees because they have to but I guess for a company like yourselves it could be a really strong advantage for you to really get roll your sleeves up and get involved yeah well, I think for a small organization it's about allocation of resources isn't it so we have to pick very carefully about where we where we spend our time mm. Uh, the IPTF historically has done some fantastic work, not just the Seven Families campaign, which I know you featured previously, but also uh, in terms of trying to derive some new thinking. And the new thinking has spurred off into the resilient households work now. We are actively participating in that. I like, I think, is, is one of those trade associations that just does fantastic work generally uh, because it's run by the members for the members. Mm. And therefore, there's a lot of technical content that we, that, we, that we get from there. And we have a number of our colleagues here that participate very regularly, in fact, and chair some of the subcommittees. So we, we, we need to spend the, the, the time in the places where we're going to get the most the most value. And for a small organization like us, it's not just finding out what's happening in the market, it's also being able to influence wherever we can the direction of those discussions, perhaps on the lobbying positions with government, for example. And Mike, how have you found your involvement in some of these organizations? Well, I've been involved in the IP task force as well, and actually involved in trying to get a green paper, uh, work on a green paper with the government. The, the ABI involvement was, was more historical 
um, when I worked at Unum and AXA and Friends, and that was more around best practice with critical illness papers and income protection papers. So it's, it's a really interesting focus that you have there because, yeah, I agree, obviously, pointless trying to compete with the guys with big pockets. So you've got to focus on something really specific. And I guess, Stuart, you said already they brought you in to to manage that strategy, to develop that vision for Holloway going forward. So what are the, what are the sort of challenges that you've faced being in charge since taking over? And have you got some results that you're starting to see come through now? Yeah, I think the, the, the biggest challenge for any new, any new CEO is to, first of all, start with reviewing what you've currently got. Mm. So it's a lot of time just getting under the skin of the business as it was historically, but then to work quite quickly to develop a new strategy and then secure buy-in from uh, from the board and also from my working colleagues. Then, once you've got that sorted out, you then move into implementation phase. Mm-hmm. And the strategy implementation for us has been largely 2017. So we've described internally 2017 as our transformation year, when we move from producing lots of pretty pictures on fantastic slide decks to actually getting under the skin of shaking a business up and making the changes that we need. Uh, and we've looked at absolutely everything, Roger, from start to, to, to finish. We've looked at vision, mission, mission and values. We've looked at uh, product participation strategies. We've reviewed the financial and the capital positions. We've reviewed the uh, IT uh, platform requirements moving forward. Uh, we've got a very extensive change program that's in train now. Uh, we've reviewed the board structure and board governance. And perhaps most significantly, we've reviewed the people requirements that we need. So we now have people like Mike and Susie in the business Mm. who weren't here before. So we've now got operational functions that look after sales, marketing, HR, compliance, uh, underwriting, new business operations, et cetera, which as a a small organization, we didn't have. Mm. So, you know, at the end of 2016, we had 28 uh, colleagues working within the Holloway. We're now around 60. And we're developing, you know, a modern business, and that's what we need to do. So the the, big, the biggest challenge, as ever, is getting the capital and the, the secure buy-in from the boards. Uh, but once the board has agreed it, it's then up to the management to move on to implementation. Yeah. So we've spent an awful lot of time this year, uh, sorry, last year, 2017, reviewing and changing just about everything uh, in a structured way. The results are starting to show through, uh, not only the financials. Uh, our new business growth last year was about 30-odd percent but from a very, very small base to a slightly bigger small base. Um, and we need to ma- maintain that momentum, which we've done during the first uh, six weeks of this year. So uh, we are definitely seeing the results. And so it comes down to insight. We have to get away from just copying products and start to really get close to the end consumer and also the distributor. We're not going to um, distribute direct to customer because we haven't got sufficient budgets. So understanding the broker market really well and segmenting that properly and getting close to the to the scale distribution that we need has been absolutely key for us. And what would you say your, oh, and this is a terminology that I hate, I don't even know why I was about to ask the question in this way, but what would your elevator pitch be for Holloway? How do you describe your mission and vision? Well, the, the mission actually is more important than the vision for me because having a business with purpose is more significant than having a, a, a you know a vision that, that about numbers. Yeah. So the mission for our business is definitely to be there for our customers when they need us the most, and our ethics 
and the ethos that we have internally is driving just about everything. So the reason that we need to drive revenue and to get new growth in and to position the business more, more in a more modern way and a more professional way is to generate capital to enable us to provide more support to members. And it's, it's a, a virtual circle and a virtuous circle at the same time. And that's what we're going to do. We just need to focus really, really hard on making sure that nobody is able to beat us in the areas where, where we want to compete, which is around dealing with customers when they need us the most. Claims is absolutely it. And obviously, this focus on claims is, is very, very interesting. Because as I said before, I think it's the one part of the customer journey that as a protection industry as a whole we've almost left till last haven't we we've we've renovated the underwriting process we've done interesting marketing we maybe even have um, created a better customer experience during the lifetime of the policy but claims just seems to be one of those things that well we'll get round to it so it's really quite interesting that you focused specifically on the claim and obviously you were talking to brokers you've been looking at the market what do you think before we get into specifically what holloway are doing what challenges are facing the protection market as a whole at the moment what do we need to tackle as an industry what do we need to get right and how's that shaped the development of your vision well, I think at one level, the, the, the issues that, that face our market haven't changed for the last 10 or 15 years. Mm. They are, we need more customers and advisors to understand why they need protection, especially IP, and then have the means of accessing appropriate advice uh, and propositions accordingly. So the, most of the industry tends to focus naturally on the supply side of the equation, and that's, that's inevitable. So we're trying to improve products, we're trying to get more marketing done, we're all trying to compete for distribution and all that kind of good stuff, and that's fine. But there's not a lot happening on the demand side, and therefore how do we educate the market, both consumers and uh, and and, cust- uh, and advisors rather, about why protection is important and it's, and specifically why income protection is perhaps more important than just about anything. And that's what we've got to try and work out how to do. And as a small business like ours, we can influence um, distributors quite quite easily by you know helping them run uh, development workshops and uh, educating them around claim stats and all those kinds of things. But it won't really change the end customer. And I think educating the end customer or attracting the end customer is where the big is where the big win is. But it's not going to come from brands like Holloway because we're just too small. Mm-hmm. It is a challenge for the entire industry, isn't it? And, and the aforementioned Income Protection Task Force, the Seven Families campaign, was an attempt by the industry to to try to draw more attention to itself by creating engaging videos. I'm a big fan of the of the videos that the um, Seven Families campaign put yep. together. And I'd like to see a lot more of that. But as a protection industry, we are a little bit insular aren't we? We publish our income protection claim stats, our critical illness claim stats, our life insurance claim stats around this time of the year. We get lots of coverage in money marketing, financial advisor, cover magazine, health insurance daily. And we all feel really good about it. And that's fine. We should do because the claim stats on the whole are extremely, extremely good. But the man on the street never really hears about this. They still have this perception, unfortunately, that the industry doesn't pay claims. And we've really got to try and find a way of of projecting these statistics, which are extremely good statistics, into the public domain in a way that can engage customers. And, And it is a perennial issue that we face. The biggest advantage that Seven Families had, in my view, yeah, was was educating the media. And I think, you know, until we start seeing positive news in in the media more generally about the insurance market and around claims in particular, then we're always going to be on the back foot. Mm. The, the, The significant value of those videos 
and the, and the education process that uh, the IPTF took through to the media was 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 massive in my view and had a huge impact. But it but it only has a certain amount of longevity and it was expensive to produce. So we need to find different ways of, of evolving that media edu- media education, especially you know um, uh, journalists. I, t- I totally agree, and I think bringing the products to life is really, really important, and how we promote that. But I also think on some products like income protection and maybe critical illness, the the understanding of the products, how we underwrite and how we pay claims is still misunderstood as well. And thinking about how we make products more inclusive and fairer, for me, is a real key message we need to get out to the market so that the products look attractive to customers and members. And another thing as well, Roger, that's probably worth just pausing on is that as we all produce stats, stats mean nothing when you know the vast majority of consumers don't understand how to do percentages. <laughs> it doesn't really help. What, what we need to do is to think about changing that model and working out how many families have, have benefited and to what level have they benefited rather than that we've paid 96% and somebody else has paid 97 or 94. It's largely academic. We need to work out real families and, and show the value that you know income protection, critical illness, term insurance have given to, 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 to families. It's the numbers of families that we impact that really matters. I agree. I think we need to be better at sharing the real life stories that we feel every day here um, in our claims area where we've really touched people's lives in, in so many more ways than just obliging the policy terms and conditions. And I think it's the, the true essence of what we're trying to do here that we need to better you know, illustrate or, or show to not only um, the public, but to advisors as well to help them actually really believe that we are genuinely looking at ways to support members um, in, in either paying their benefit or actually helping them gain, regain a better quality of life. And it's those things that are very hard to to capture um, and to share, but we're, we're definitely committed to doing that this year. And I think it's not just the product providers that need to do this, is it, Susie? I think in, advisors can help as well. We we are living in an age now where everybody is wandering around with a device in their pocket or their handbag, which will allow them to create video, create audios like we're doing here on this podcast, to write articles, to tweet stuff, to write emails. Everybody these days is a potential broadcaster. And it's not just the life insurance companies that have to say to the media, look at all the families we're helping, look at all the families who have benefited from our products. The advisors who originally told these customers, recommended these customers to take out a Holloway plan or an Aviva product or whatever it was, they they can also start to project these positive messages out there as well. And I think we live in this age now where everybody can do that. It's not just the responsibility of those of us with marketing departments. Mm, you're right. And I think also, you know, we, we've touched a number of, of families, number of claimants um, who actually want to speak for themselves because they've been so overwhelmed by the, the treatment they've had at a time when they, they did need it the most. Um, so we're keen to do more um, and to, to help people share their stories stories, which will in turn help advisors um, have that better message um, to potential uh, consumers um, and to the public generally. So there's so much more that we can do. And let's focus then on what Holloway have been doing around the claims process, because this is where your focus is. Quite a lot of other companies, in fact, the entire industry, we've all focused on product development. We've focused on making the underwriting process faster and slicker, customer service during the um, product lifetime 
faster and slicker, but maybe the claims side of things has been left till last. But this is your focus. So tell me what Holloway are doing in this area. Okay, well, 2017 was a really busy year for Holloway. um, And we made some really significant changes to our claims management. We successfully introduced teleclaims, which replaced the traditional claim form process. And this had an absolutely fantastic impact on our ability to obtain as much information upfront um, with careful questioning. Um, and the use of an e-signature meant that we could make decisions within a number of hours. Um, the ability for members to be able to take photos of their medication and to talk us through things over the phone without the need of toing and froing on emails and letters to try and establish the facts. And this meant that we could reduce our average 12 days in, an, in the traditional claim form process to just four and a half hours. Um, so that, that was fantastic and, and it helped our members considerably um, at the time when they needed it. We also um, have paid 97% of claims um, in, in the fourth quarter of last year and in overall 96 um, for the whole of last year. So we're really focused on our ability to, to pay claims. We're also looking at early intervention um, and how we can support our members in helping them regain quality of life. And that can be in the form of fast tracking treatment that they're perhaps waiting for on the NHS, which will enable them to get back to work quicker. Um, And we know there's a really small window of opportunity. So within the first two years of somebody being unable to work due to ill health, we have a real chance to support and to step in and intervene. And through our sort of experienced claims assessors, we're able to do that now. And and the, the relationships that we're building by using the telephone and and really getting to know our members and understanding what challenges they face um, and enables us to support them in a really proactive claims management plan and the feedback we're getting from our members is really great um, so we've we've done a lot but we've got lots to do we're really keen to continue to reduce the the time that we take to make decisions and to make the journey as easy as possible for our claimants and our, our members um, and we've got so much more that we can do but there's been a huge focus um, in the last seven months um, to really sort of kick the tires on the process and to start listening uh, and one of our one of our values is that we listen with our hearts as well as our ears and and that's definitely we've got some really great examples of where that's actually happened where we've made decisions outside of the terms and conditions that perhaps other insurers might not. Um, we use them as our guide, but not our rule book. And, and we're really seeing the, the impact on people's lives, which is definitely what makes me tick. It's really interesting, some of the things you've said there, Susie. Just love the idea. And it's so obvious and so simple, isn't it? If somebody's on some medication, take a photo of it and send it to us. You know, that's yeah. just I, mean, I was going to say it's genius. It's it's actually such common sense because that's what everybody can do. But I, I couldn't even think of anybody else who would suggest doing that. You'd probably have to get a doctor to take a photograph and sign it. And I, I prove that this photograph's um, actually a legitimate photograph and hasn't been photoshopped or something like that. But I think the early intervention is a fascinating issue as well and, and obviously very important on income protection. And I mean, I, I, I had this um, idea many, many years ago when I was involved in the development of Bright Grey that one day the reason that people would take out these income protection products would actually be for the, the early intervention services 
more than in in reality taking them out for the financial benefits that they that they um, ultimately get from that. And and I think that if we can push that a little bit further, and as you say, go a little bit beyond the terms of the policy, that's a great way to engage with the customer. It's a good way to increase the positive stories that we're putting out there about the industry and hopefully to overcome the negative stories that we still do see, unfortunately, in the media. Can you give me a few examples, maybe a story or two about how you've done that to make the claims process better, maybe where you have pushed it just that little bit further, Susie? Yeah, of course. I mean, we we start working with our members from the point of notification. So whilst um, there are deferred periods to, to consider, what we don't want to do is, is leave the, the member alone whilst they're they're waiting for their deferred period to expire so we're working immediately to try and understand what's going on and to support them from the the word go we've got some examples of where we've actually been able to fast track some treatment so uh, a member waiting for um some cognitive behaviour therapy um, that was was needed. Um, the, the waiting list on the NHS is unfortunately about nine months uh, long. So what we did is we just stepped straight in and, and um, funded that treatment, which really fast-tracked this this member's recovery. And we're now working with that lady to, to help her and rehabilitate, rehabilitate her back into the workplace in a partial capacity. So that was fantastic. Other examples of where we've actually waived deferred periods because we have appreciated that the circumstances of the particular member, um, it just wasn't useful to wait. Um, and again, whilst those are the terms and conditions of the particular policy, we made a decision based on judgment and based on what we know. Um, and we, we waived the deferred period so that we could start supporting immediately. And those are just some examples of where we've done things a little bit different and where perhaps other insurers might be more stringent in, in actually complying with the, with the terms and conditions. We're also engaging with um, rehabilitation providers, not only in things like CBT and physiotherapy, I guess all the, all the usual things, but also in counselling and helping people come to terms with their illness. And again, it's about gaining quality of life and supporting people in the right, in the right ways. And I guess as a, as a relatively small company, you can give your staff the empowerment to be different like this because you are all in it as a small team. You can have these discussions in a, in a close-knit um, group, whereas I guess that sometimes when companies get to be so big, they almost then defer to the rule book because there are so many people involved. Do you feel that that, that that small nimbleness that you have as a company like that helps you to create the culture to do things differently, to have a more can-do attitude in these sorts of circumstances? Yes, definitely. You're right. We do have, we do have small teams, um, but we have small teams of very passionate people. So um, stories are shared. And we have had scenarios where actually one of my claims assessors has actually gone home and thought about a case overnight and it's played on her mind so much that she's come in in the morning and sort of called the group together to just really discuss it a bit further. And and, and that's what I mean by passion and commitment. It, it's something that is, is really important to the team. Um, and it's something that from for myself, coming from a big corporate company to a, a smaller, friendly society, is, is an overwhelming sense of, of can do and that that real um, commitment to our members and and actually doing the right thing by the member based on what you know and, and the relationship you've built. That really is listening with your heart, isn't it? I love that. Going home, 
thinking about it, coming back in the, the following day and getting everybody together and changing it. That's great. And Roger, I'd just like to add the that this sort of resonates through the whole whole of our organization. It's real people assessing real lives, whether that be at the claim stage and it's actually at the underwriting stage as well. So whilst I haven't covered underwriting much today, looking at the fairness of how we get people on risk, real assessment, so rather than relying on on sort of faster online underwriting, which can sometimes be quite general on an income protection product, we have underwriters actually looking and assessing and actually looking at different types of decisions. So maybe offering loadings instead of exclusions and, and looking at things differently, but trying to be inclusive. And we can trust our underwriting process, which gives us the uh, the ability to then have the trust in the claims process as well. So it's obviously a lot going on and it's all positive and it should over time, and it's a long game, let's face it, it should over time start to get more positive stories out there. But what would you like to see the industry do as a whole to make customers trust protection providers more? I think that's one of those perennial questions, Roger, that's almost impossible to answer. Mm. My, my view is that, that marketing messages and marketing plans will not make much difference. Consumer engagement is what makes the difference. So the people that we interact with on a day-by-day basis are the people that we want to, to engage with and the people that go through our claims process are those that will trust us. So in my view, for us as a small as a small business, it's around securing trust one customer at a time, rather than having to spend you know ten million pounds over ten years trying to do some kind of marketing campaign. Yeah. It's about engagement. We also need to be on the front foot much more with the media and with government as an industry, so that insurers are seen as part of the solution and not part of the problem. Uh, we need to stop as an industry stop shooting ourselves in the foot, which has happened numerous times over the last few decades, as we all know. Um, but I think most of those historical problems should now be in the past. But engagement is where it's at for me. Engagement needs to trust. Understanding needs to trust. Marketing messages don't. So how does the industry engage more with consumers? That's really what counts. And Mike, what would your key thing be that you'd like to see the industry do more of? Well, I think I think there is an issue around inclusivity, as I talked about before. I think there's a number of people that don't feel that they have access to insurance, and that's just not true. So, so awareness, bringing some of the stories we talked about today to life is really, really important. And, and a bit about real people and real lives. I mean, we're all about um, embracing technology and using that in the right way to get customers on risk quickly and to pay them quickly. But having good technical people assessing lives at the right time is also very, very important. And I'd like to see more of that. And Susie? Yeah, I think I, I agree with Mike totally. It's about getting the balance right between automation and um, that that, that human touch and the ability to be able to make a decision on balance rather than just sort of going by a set of rules. And I think that's definitely what we're doing at Holloway. We, we are striking the balance. We, we, we are making decisions quickly and we're getting people um, people's claims paid really promptly. But we're able to uh, to have the right balance between really understanding what's going on and, and really tailoring the help that we can give to each individual member. And that's what's important, I think. So, Stuart, Mike, Susie, it's been fascinating chatting to you this morning about the vision and the strategy for Holloway, that focus on the customer, looking after the customer when they need it most, and that 
word engagement. I agree with you, Stuart. That whole marketing piece has to be about engagement. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how that strategy translates into the real world over the course of the next few years. So really exciting times. I always like to ask my guests a couple of extra questions as well. And I think, Stuart, you've been volunteered for this. So I'm looking for what's your what's the favorite marketing campaign that you've seen, or it could be a product or something like that in the last year or so that's really made you sit up and think, wow, I like a piece of that. Tell me what it was and what you liked about it. On the product side, it's, it's probably Royal London and, and Exeter, uh, both of them moving into diabetics and, and uh, the, the broader market mm. for people with term illnesses. I think that's a fantastic uh, development for our industry. Um, as if you classify as a TV campaign, it'll probably be something really basic like Marks and Spencers and their Spend It Well uh, campaign that, that they ran last year, which was the first time we've seen a major brand like M&S uh, advertising uh, food and clothes in the same in the same. <laughs> well, that was quite clever. And what's your favourite business book that you've read recently? Tell me what it was and what you liked about it. Okay. Uh, in terms of recent... Uh, I tend not to read business books right now, Roger. I tend to read the Harvard Business Review, which has got bits of everything in it. Yeah. But if you're thinking about a, a real um, life changer as a, as a book, it's, it, for me, I always end up back at uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. It's one of those books that if you, if you can move from the superficial and actually start to internalize the messages, it really does change your life. And uh, that's probably the book that I've kept closest to me over the last 15, 20 years. Fantastic. Hopefully, people listening to the podcast have been interested by what you've been talking about and some of the developments you've got and some of the philosophies that you've put in place. So, Stuart, Mike, Susie, what's the best way that people should get in touch with you? Could be email, website, Twitter. What is it? Well, for me, it's definitely email and via the website. So, yeah, that's much easy, much easiest. Are you happy to give your email out on, on air? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Stuart.trankheim at holloway.co.uk. And I'll include that email address in the show notes for this podcast, which you can find at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF. That's rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF. Stuart, Mike, Susie, it's been fabulous to talk to you this morning. Really enjoyed our conversation. Let me wish you all every success for the future. And no doubt I shall see you at an industry event in the not too distant future. Thanks, Roger. Great. Thanks, Roger. Thank you, Roger. Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. I'll catch you on the next episode. In the meantime, keep marketing your business to keep growing your business.